Hello everyone, my name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 4th of June. We turn away from the Gospel stories today and look at one of the Psalms, Psalm 8, a psalm that wonders why God should care for us. Our music picks up on the theme of God's glory and we have already heard one of Vivaldi's settings of the Gloria. Later we'll hear a few different versions of our psalm And finally, Louis Armstrong will sing about our wonderful world. Some notices. Our on-site service today will include a celebration of the Lord's Supper, and all are welcome. This afternoon at 4pm we have a church in the cafe, when we welcome a speaker who will tell us about Arosha, who promote a Christian approach to caring for our wonderful world. Our showing of the third season of The Chosen continues on Tuesday at 2.30 and 7.30, and all are welcome. On Wednesday at 11am there is a free church service at the cathedral when the Reverend Ian Green will be the preacher. Ian is the minister at Amersham Free Church and a Baptist minister. And now our call to worship. Some verses from the end of the Gospel according to Matthew. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Oh Lord our God, how majestic is your name. The earth is filled with your glory Oh Lord our God, you are robed in majesty You set your glory above the heavens We will magnify, we will magnify The Lord and throne Established a throne, you reign in righteousness and splendor. Oh Lord our God, the skies are ringing with your praise. Soon those on earth will come to worship. We will magnify, we will magnify the Lord. Oh, and Zion, we will. 
God, the world was made at your command. In you, all things now hold together. Now to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Lord, we are overcome with the scale and splendour of creation. We are overawed by the abundance of heavenly bodies and the variety of life on this one planet. We come to praise you for the wonders of creation and for the wonder that you have instilled in us. Let our hearts burst with praise and our lips show forth your glory. O Lord, our King, we thank you for the universe that tells of your wonders and for the wonder that you've put into our hearts. We marvel at the praise that comes from the lips of children. We stand in awe in the midst of your bountiful glory. We are honoured by your honour of humanity. And we thank you. Amen. A reading from the Psalms, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God, and crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Whenever I look out at the gallery at Dagnall Street, I see a reminder of some information that has lain dormant in my brain for more than 30 years. Dagnall Street members will remember when the church was redeveloped 20 years ago. The new building work meant that the church would need to be covered by some of the building regulations that wouldn't have been in force when the church was built in the 1880s. This meant that the gallery had to have a rail along its front edge a section of which is at a different height from the rest as it's facing the gallery aisle. The information that's stuck in my brain is that in public areas, balustrades have to be 900 millimetres above the treads of a staircase, 
while they must be 1100 millimeters high on a landing. Any upright bars must have a gap of no more than 100 millimeters. This is just about the last bit of information that I have left from the 12 years that I spent working in the architectural metalwork world. I used to know off by heart the drill bit sizes for every conceivable fixing, but sadly this useful information has now left me. But I do still know how high a balustrade has to be. Perhaps the significance of my remembering this rather strange bit of information is related to the importance of this particular regulation. The maximum gap in the bars is intended to prevent a child from getting its head stuck, while the height of the balustrade is intended to prevent anyone falling over a staircase landing. I might also have remembered this information because when I started work at the company a frightening 44 years ago, they were already involved in a court case. The action was being brought on behalf of a child who had fallen through a balustrade that was made of perspex and he had fallen several floors down. The child suffered life-changing injuries and would always need care. I remember talking with my colleagues about this incident. It was obviously a worry for the company as they were implicated in what had happened. One of my senior colleagues said it would have been better if the child had died. My initial reaction was that he meant that this would have been better for the child. I didn't particularly agree with what he said, but I could appreciate the sentiment. The thing is, my colleague wasn't thinking of the child at all. What he meant when he said it would have been better if the child had died is that it would have been cheaper if a claim against the company had been upheld. One can understand how this is so unpalatable as it may seem. The cost of providing care for a young person for the rest of their life can be calculated along with their loss of earning potential to come up with a total figure. These are the sort of sums that actuaries carry out for insurance companies. If you've got one of those personal accident insurance policies and have ever looked at the paperwork, you'll know how much an eye is worth in comparison to a toe. If you're interested in one insurance policy I looked at, a toe, or indeed a finger, is worth £10,000. A hand or a foot isn't much more, £15,000. In contrast, an eye is worth £60,000. So, despite what the Apostle Paul says about all the parts of the body being equally valuable, insurance companies take a different view. What was particularly shocking about this policy was how much was paid out in the event of death following an accident. £60,000 for an adult, but just £3,000 for a child. Comparisons with other claims are even more odious. Some years ago, Paul Gascoigne was paid £188,000 by the Mirror Group in damages for their having hacked his phone. You might remember that around the same time there was the case of parents who lost two children when a faulty boiler caused carbon monoxide poisoning when they were on holiday. Those parents were paid slightly less than this in damages for each of the children who died. The National Health Service also makes calculations on the value of life, although in a slightly more oblique fashion. One of the responsibilities of Parliament is to pass a budget which will set the amount of money spent on what one branch of the civil service refers to as improving the outcomes for people using the NHS. I don't know how this budget is decided, perhaps someone suggests a total figure and then the NHS decides how to carve it up. But however it's done, there's a problem of deciding how much to spend on different parts of the NHS, which has a direct result on people's lives. 
For example, if more money is spent on the care of people suffering from Alzheimer's disease, this will presumably mean that less money is available to spend on, for example, coronary care. And so it goes on. How much money? How much are you worth? In his play Lady Windermere's Fan, one of Oscar Wilde's characters answers the question, what is a cynic? The response is, a man who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. While it's easy to be critical of the value that's put on a human life, it is a necessary part of what a court must do in cases of people seeking compensation. The trouble is, putting a value on human beings does make us uncomfortable. In America, a different debate takes place, which is estimating the cost of death. Opponents of the death penalty estimate that the cost of ending a life is greater than the cost of preserving that same life behind bars. The cost of putting someone to death is a bit of a red herring with regard to the pros and cons of the debate. I guess if a thing is worth doing then it might be worth the cost, but I'm not an especially big fan of capital punishment. I'm against it, not because of the cost or even because it doesn't seem to work as a deterrent. No, I'm against it because I believe that despite our need to put a price on human life, its value is beyond counting. It seems a long time ago now, but before the Covid pandemic I had a regular monthly slot on Premier Christian Radio to review films. Most of these were films that were on at the local cinema, but occasionally there would be a film that was very specifically Christian. One of these was called Captive. It tells the true story of a woman, Ashley Smith, who is taken hostage by a fugitive, Brian Nichols, who had already killed four people. Ashley had led a troubled life. She was a drug user and her husband had been killed by a drug dealer. Her young daughter lived with Ashley's aunt, as Ashley was considered an unfit mother. Her captor was also a troubled soul. He was in court for a relatively minor offence, but was so upset that he would be going to prison and therefore not see his newborn son that he broke free, and in the process made himself liable for a capital sentence. The film tells how Ashley was given a copy of The Purpose Driven Life, a very successful book about Christian discipleship. Ashley read sections from this to try to help Nichols realise that even now there is hope, and even now his life can have purpose. The film ends with Ashley having turned her life around, and she's now clean from drugs, remarried, and has had more children. Through my role at Premier, I had the opportunity to ask some questions to Ashley Smith when she was promoting the film, and one thing I wanted to know was what her attitude was to the death penalty, bearing in mind that she lives in Georgia, where 38 people are on death row. She didn't really want to answer the question, and said it wasn't really anything to do with her. But if she, like all Christian people, believes that all human life is valuable, and every life is God-given and has a purpose, then who are we to say the state has the right to take away life? It is the Lord who gives, and the Lord who takes that away. I saw an advert for a planetarium which read, Explore your place in the universe. I guess that statement can have more than one meaning. There is the idea that we can look out at the planets and the stars and see where our world fits amongst all the heavenly bodies. But there is another somewhat philosophical meaning, what is our purpose in the universe? This is what we read in our psalm. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them?
You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. I remember Professor Brian Cox, a scientist who's not a Christian, saying in one of his TV programmes that human beings are uniquely placed to understand the universe. Now while this is not the same as saying that the universe was made for us, it suggests that we have a special relationship with it. Another Psalm, 139, speaks about the origins of human life. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Your eyes saw my unformed body. We're familiar with these ideas that we develop or are knitted together in our mother's womb and that our bodies were at one time unformed. And even here in that place that was once hidden, but which is now open to the scrutiny of ultrasonic scans, we are known to God and therefore we can surely say we are in relationship with God. The concept of when a human embryo becomes a person is one that lies at the heart of many of the discussions in the field of medical ethics. Historically the question that was asked was, when does the soul enter the human body? At different times and within different societies and religions there have been different views on this which cover the whole nine months of human pregnancy from conception to the child's first breath. The Hebrew concept of the soul is expressed by the word nephesh, which comes from a root meaning to breathe. So the soul comes into being at the first breath, which connects every new life to the breath that God breathed into the first man and first woman to confer life onto lifeless flesh. Another line in that psalm goes like this, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. This seems a slightly odd idea, where previously the psalmist seems to have a pretty good grasp of biology in his proclaiming to God that God has knit him together in his mother's womb. Here he seems to have veered off into a different direction. However, the poetic point that the psalmist is making is also a surprisingly accurate expression of the scientific understanding of the development of all molecules. One of the pleasures I've had in preparing our weekly podcast service is choosing the music, and alongside the traditional worship songs I've chosen an eclectic mix of other music, including some 1960s hippie tunes, such as Woodstock, a song by Joni Mitchell. There are some lines in the song which express this same idea. We are stardust, billion-year-old carbon. We are golden. Cosmologists tell us that the Earth and all the planets have been formed from the debris of exploding stars. We are made from the dust of billion-year-old stars. The psalmist didn't know about exploding stars, but he did know what he read in Genesis, which was that God formed human beings from the dust of the Earth. We can see that there is a tension between our special place in God's creation, but also knowing that there is a limit to our status. We've been given life, given our soul, our nephesh, when God breathed life into us. Yet we're also made of dust, and to dust we will return. We are special, the only living things we know about who can have a relationship with God 
and the universe that God has made. And yet we are also made of the same stuff as the stars we see in space. We also share our physical matter with the rocks, plants and animals that have gone before us. I am not the man I once was, because a significant number of the molecules from which my cells are made are not those I had when I was born. Human beings are something like the road sweeper's broom. The head and the handle have been replaced a number of times, but we still carry on. We're not like the road sweeper's broom because even if every molecule in our body had been renewed, who we are, our identity, would remain the same. I was listening to a programme on the radio the other day in which there's a feature in which footballers from the 70s and 80s are interviewed. The item is called I Wish That I Knew What I Know Now When I Was Younger and it involves comparing the answers the footballer gave to questions from Shoot magazine when he was in his 20s to how he might answer today. The interview I heard was with Terry McDermott who played for Liverpool and Newcastle and is now 72 years old. One of the questions was which film stars did he like? He guessed that it would have been a pretty girl and was rather horrified when told it was Glenda Jackson. The issue didn't seem to be so much about what Glenda Jackson looks like now, and I guess Terry McDermott is not quite the Adonis he was in his twenties, it was more that she was a Labour politician. Apart from this one departure, Terry McDermott showed himself to be pretty much the same man now as he was in his twenties. The body may have aged and the mind slowed, but he's still the same man. There's that famous question of the famous person with the sense of entitlement. Do you know who I am? This was turned into a story in which a famous person visited a nursing home, but no one seemed to recognise and make a fuss of him. And the famous person asked one of the residents if she knew who he was. The resident wrinkled her brow and then said to the man, Don't worry, there's a nice nurse over there who can tell you who you are. Knowing who we are is wrapped up in our being known. Knowing who we are is wrapped up in our being known and known by God. Human life is unique. We are stardust, we are golden. We are made in God's image, we are special in God's sight. Those of us who are Christians believe that part of this unique quality is because we have been made to enjoy and share in God's creativity. This is a cause for celebration. And wherever you are on the journey of faith, whether you're experiencing the thrill of the ride or haven't yet decided whether you want to buy a ticket, I hope that you'll join with me in giving thanks for who you are, for who we are, and for this extraordinary life we share together. I came upon a child of God He was walking along the road And I asked him, I said, where are you going? And this he told me I'm going on down to Yasgur's farm Join in a rock and roll band. I'm gonna camp out on the land, Lord. I'm gonna try and get my soul free. We are stardust.
Let us pray. Creator God, we confess that we are often downcast. Our eyes are downcast and dwell in the mire, and our spirits are downcast and dwell on human misery. Yet we have caused ourselves to be dejected, for you have not cast us down. You have raised us up. You have made us only a little lower than yourself. Forgive us for putting down ourselves and one another, and help us to live in love and praise. In our looking in, you send us out, renewed, recreated, reborn, with a blessing to heal the world and touch all living with grace, forgiveness and love. And we give you our thanks. But Lord, for those who hang their heads today, we pray that you will uplift them. If they hang their heads in shame, forgive them. If they hang their heads in pain, heal them. If they hang their heads in fear, give them strength. If they hang their heads to mourn, comfort them. Lord, for those who hang their heads today, we pray that you will uplift them, for you have made us just a little lower than yourself. Amen.
our last song is Louis Armstrong singing What a Wonderful World. But first a final prayer. May Christ the Supreme One reign over us. May Christ the Suffering One sustain us. May Christ our Brother be close to us. Today and every day. Amen. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue. Clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky. Also on the faces of people going by, I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They learn much more. I never knew And I think to myself What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful world